Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 28th. In today's news, the CDC warns Americans to avoid non-essential travel to China. We get an early look at President Trump's Middle East peace plan, and Kobe Bryant's helicopter pilot received clearance to fly in poor weather right before the crash. But first, the big idea. Sensational revelations from President Trump's former national security advisor threatened to upend the Senate impeachment trial on Monday, increasing the chances that senators would vote to allow witnesses in a perilous development for the White House. Inside the Senate chamber, as the trial entered its second week, Trump's lawyers pushed forward with their defense of the president, largely ignoring the uproar caused by leaked details from a book by John Bolton. As part of their defense, they pivoted into a sharp line of attack on former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter over their involvement in Ukraine. But outside the chamber, GOP senators caught unaware by the Bolton news, including Mitch McConnell himself, grappled with divisions in their ranks and fresh calls from a small group of conservatives and moderates who want to hear from Bolton before the third presidential impeachment trial in American history comes to a close. Mitt Romney says it's increasingly likely that other Republicans will join him in voting to hear from Bolton. Senator Susan Collins says the reports about Bolton's manuscript strengthen the case for witnesses. She says she's having a number of conversations with her Republican colleagues. Four GOP senators need to cross over to vote to hear from Bolton. Speaking on the floor last night, Trump defense lawyer Alan Dershowitz, the same Dershowitz who previously represented O.J. Simpson and Jeffrey Epstein, among others, said Bolton's allegations against Trump do not constitute impeachable offenses. Nothing in the Bolton book, he said, would rise to the level of what he called an abuse of power. The first Trump lawyer to speak at length earlier in the afternoon was Ken Starr, the same Ken Starr who led the investigation of Bill Clinton that led to his impeachment by the House in 1998 and subsequent acquittal by the Senate. Starr talked for an hour about how terrible the impeachment process is for the country lamenting that we're in an age of impeachment and about how it's being overused and about how it tears the country apart. Many Democrats viewed Starr's presentation as the height of hypocrisy. Indeed, whether you like this president or not, Starr's speech was anything but self-aware. The signs of confusion among Senate Republicans over the Bolton revelations, though, really were the story of the day. There was supposed to be a big news conference with a lot of Republican senators, but only two ended up showing up, Mike Braun from Indiana and John Barrazzo from Wyoming. The others stayed away while they tried to make sense of the Bolton news. Later, in a further sign of disunity, the newest Republican senator, Kelly Loeffler from Georgia, who was appointed just last month, attacked Romney on Twitter. She's worried now because she's facing a primary challenge from House Judiciary Committee ranking member Doug Collins from her right, so she's trying to show she has the president's back. Much of the daily Republican lunch that preceded Monday's trial centered on what to do about the witness question. Romney told his colleagues that they have to call additional witnesses, that they have a moral obligation to do so. 
Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, someone we haven't been watching during this process, also stood up to raise concerns. Cassidy noted that the White House has argued that there were no direct witnesses to any allegations of a quid pro quo. But Cassidy noted now there is a direct witness in the form of Bolton. Another conservative senator, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, spoke with Romney and other colleagues yesterday about possibly summoning two witnesses to the trial, one called by Republicans and one by Democrats. Toomey is privately telling Republicans that a one-for-one arrangement could force Democrats to accept a Republican witness against their wishes or risk having Republicans move ahead to acquit Trump. That way, Toomey is telling people they can say that they tried to call witnesses, but it was Democrats who blocked it. It's not clear that talking point will work, but that's what they're considering. However, the question of witnesses is resolved. There remains little doubt that Trump will ultimately be acquitted in the end. Although it would take only a simple majority to vote to call witnesses, a two-thirds vote is required for conviction. Right now, the witness vote is on track to happen Friday, according to Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn. Meanwhile, overnight, the New York Times published some fresh details from Bolton's book. In the draft, he reveals that he expressed concern directly last year to Attorney General Bill Barr that Trump was effectively granting personal favors to the autocratic leaders of Turkey and China. Barr apparently commiserated, pointing to a pair of Justice Department investigations of companies in those countries and expressing worry that Trump was creating the appearance that he had undue influence over what are supposed to be independent inquiries. Bolton's account shows how uneasy not just experts are about Trump's embrace of authoritarian leaders, but even senior members of his own cabinet. Bolton writes that Barr complained to him about Trump's conversations with Xi Jinping about the Chinese telecommunications firm ZTE. ZTE agreed back in 2017 to plead guilty and pay heavy fines for violating American sanctions on doing business with North Korea, Iran, and some of the most odious regimes in the world. A year later, Trump lifted those sanctions over the vigorous objections of his own advisors and Republican lawmakers. Apparently, the conversations with Xi were the key factor. Barr also reportedly cited remarks that Trump made to Turkish leader Raip Erdogan in 2018 about the investigation of Halk Bank, Turkey's second largest state-owned bank. The Justice Department was scrutinizing Halk Bank on fraud and money laundering charges for helping Iran evade sanctions imposed by the Trump Treasury Department. Barr is denying that he privately told Bolton that he thinks the president did anything improper. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, as fear grows over the spread of the coronavirus, the U.S. government is warning Americans to avoid non-essential travel to China. Late last night, a top U.S. health official criticized Chinese authorities for not inviting American experts to help them research this new virus. While China has been more transparent than it was during the 2003 SARS outbreak, U.S. officials are still getting their information about what's happening through press briefings rather than from direct transfer of scientific data. This is according to Anthony Fauci, the director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. 
Fauci points out that China's health minister said publicly on Sunday that the virus could be transmitted by an infected person even before symptoms appear. If that's the case, it would affect how the U.S. is screening people traveling here from China. Amid growing alarm about the disease fast spread, our CDC is boosting staffing at 20 U.S. airports that have quarantine facilities. And in a rare public mea culpa, the Chinese government is now saying that they mishandled the early stages of the crisis, which has claimed about 100 lives there and infected more than 4,400 people. The mayor of Wuhan, where the outbreak started, said on Chinese state TV that his city didn't release timely and satisfactory information as things were getting out of control. Epidemiologists around the globe are racing the clock to understand how the virus spreads, how long it incubates before making a person ill, whether it can be contagious even when a person is asymptomatic, and just how lethal it is. They say the public shouldn't assume the worst, and they also say that thankfully the virus does not appear to be as deadly as SARS or MERS, two similar coronaviruses that made the jump from animals to humans earlier this century and which were ultimately contained. In the U.S., 110 people in 26 states have been tested now for possible infection, but we've still only got five confirmed cases here. Overnight, both Hong Kong and Russia announced dramatic restrictions on travel to and from China. Governments across Asia are struggling with the increasingly difficult dilemma. Leaders need to choose between public health and economic vitality. Do they stop their people from traveling for business or vacation and risk a major hit to their economies? Or should they hope that increased border screenings will prevent the epidemic from spreading further? China's government can't afford to shut down its economy indefinitely, not least because it's very political legitimacy and its expensive system of societal control rest squarely on economic growth and tax revenue. Global stock markets plummeted yesterday as investors grew increasingly anxious about the spread of the coronavirus beyond China. The Dow fell about 500 points. Number two, Trump's Middle East peace plan, which he's going to formally unveil later today, will offer conditional statehood for Palestinians. Trump described his proposals for Middle East peace in private meetings yesterday with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and then separately with veteran Israeli army leader Benny Gantz, who's challenging him in upcoming elections. No Palestinians attended the White House preview of what's described as a highly detailed proposal for resolving the conflict that dates from Israel's founding in 1948. The package is expected to propose a redrawn border between Israel and the West Bank that would incorporate large Jewish settlements into Israel proper while continuing some forms of Israeli security control over the territory that Israel seized in 1967 and has occupied since. It's expected to offer limited autonomy to Palestinians in the West Bank and East Jerusalem that would increase over a three-year timetable if Palestinian leadership undertook new political measures, renounced violence, and took other steps as part of negotiations with Israel. The proposal is likely dead on arrival because the Palestinians are not bought in. They've been boycotting the whole process since Trump decided to move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Overnight, Bibi withdrew his request for immunity from prosecution on corruption charges. His announcement came just hours before parliamentary proceedings on the issue were set to begin. The Knesset, their parliament, was widely expected to reject Netanyahu's request for immunity, which would have been a massive political blow to the prime minister ahead of the March 2nd elections, their third in less than a year. 
Netanyahu's Likud party was planning to boycott Tuesday's Knesset session because they knew they'd lose the vote. The retraction by Netanyahu paves the way for legal proceedings to begin against the leader of the country. He was indicted in three separate cases on counts of fraud, breach of trust, and bribery. Number three, the helicopter pilot flying Kobe Bryant, the basketball star's daughter, and six other passengers grappled with poor weather on Sunday, asking at one point for special permission to fly by eyesight in worse than normal visibility. But he displayed no signs of concern in his communications with air traffic controllers. Shortly after he got special clearance to continue through controlled airspace, he veered from Highway 101 below and crashed into the hills of Calabasas, California. Air traffic control records show the pilot requested permission to fly under the special conditions near Burbank Airport. The pilot circled for 12 minutes until that approval came. The Burbank traffic controller responded that it would be a few more moments and asked the pilot to hold. Seconds later, the controller told the pilot that he can plan to transition to the north side of Van Nuys Airport. Era Zobayan, the pilot, was experienced at flying in that area, and he had served as Brian's pilot for a number of years. Zobayan had held a commercial license since 2007, and he was qualified to fly in bad weather under regulations known as instrument flight rules. That's according to FAA records. He was also qualified to teach people to fly in those conditions. That typically indicates that you have significant experience. On Monday, as the investigation really got underway, a team from the NTSB picked over the crash site. They were guarded against curious eyes by sheriff's deputies on horseback. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 28th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.